Hello again, friends. Welcome back to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. My name is Shlomo Buxbaum, and I'm so happy and so grateful that you are tuning in to another great episode of the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. And uh, sometimes you meet someone in your life and their energy is just contagious. Their joy, their smile just touches your heart. It moves you. And sometimes you meet someone who just makes you want to be more, want to do more, want to be better, want to go out and change the world. And that is really my guest today, our conversation with the wonderful rabbi, musician, Rabbi Yona Bookstein. I was introduced to Rabbi Yona. I met him through this conversation. And I really hope that your reaction to listening to our conversation is going to be the same as mine and that you'll really feel moved after this episode to do something for a fellow Jew, to reach out, to be bigger. It doesn't need to be something huge like the crazy things that we're going to hear that Raviona does, but just something, something to reach out to someone else and show some love to a fellow Jew. Rabbi Yonah Bookstein is the founding rabbi of the Pico Shul in LA. He's a rabbi at Camp Neshama, and he's the director of the Shabbat Tent. And by the way, all of these things we're going to speak about in our conversation. Rabbi Yonah has worked with Jewish communities across the globe, inspiring a rebirth in Jewish communal life. During the 1990s, he spearheaded efforts at Jewish community renewal in Poland, which he's still very involved in, and we're going to hear about his recent adventures to Ukraine. As a campus rabbi, he's credited with helping Jewish students launch successful Israel advocacy efforts on America's most notoriously anti-Israel campuses in Southern California. The Ford is called Rabbi Yonah, one of the game changers in American Jewish life. He was named the Jewish Community Hero by the Jewish Federations of North America and one of the top 10 Jews in social media by NJOP. Rabbi Yonah is one of the most followed rabbis on Twitter and Facebook and blogs regularly on Huffington Post, JewishJournal.com, and RabbiYonah.com. He lives in Los Angeles with his wife, Rachel Bookstein, co-founder of Pico Shul, and their four children. And we discuss all of, or many of, Raviona's projects, as well as some of the past ones, like the Julicious Festival. It's it was such a wide ranging and fun conversation. Raviona is great, and like I said, I think you'll be really, really inspired to do something. Just a reminder that this podcast is a project of the Lev Experience. You could check us out at levx.org. And if you have any feedback or comments, or you want to reach out, or if you'd like to sponsor an episode, we'd be so grateful for that. We'd love to get some sponsorships in. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode or feedback or comments, send us an email at info at levx.org, or you could reach out directly to me. You can find me on any of the social medias or my website, rabbishlomo.com. And special for our podcast listeners, you can still purchase a copy of my book, The Four Elements of an Empowered Life, with a 15% discount at mosaicopress.com, or you can find it on Amazon or at your local bookstore. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with rabbi and musician Raviona Bookstein. This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. Welcome, Raviona Bookstein, to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. How are you doing? 
I am great. Thank God. It is wonderful to be with you. Yes, I'm really looking forward to this. This has been a couple of months in the works, and I'm excited to share you with the world. Well, I, I don't want to say with the world, but at least with my world. Hey, thank you for being persistent and, and patient with my schedule. And uh, it's very exciting and uh, to be on your podcast. And also, I got a, a little snippet of all the stuff you're doing uh, <laughs> in your part of the world. And so that's that's also very exciting because anybody who is working on behalf of Claudia Israel, right? Anybody who's decided I'm not going to work on the the material gain in this world, but but on spiritual gain, it's a real tough path. And uh, of course, it is rewarding in its own way, very much so. But I have great admiration and respect, and I'm so excited to hear about what you do. Cool. Yeah. Listen, you know, you got to wear a lot of a lot of hats. You got to wear a lot of yarmulkes. You have to wear a couple of different beards, and uh, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you, so we can talk about all all the amazing all the amazing things that you do and all the projects. But I guess as a place to start, just to introduce you to the listeners. So who is Raviona? What do you do today? And uh, like, what's your, what's your mission? It's a wonderful question. You know, in LA where we live and we're based, uh, the number one thing everybody wants is an elevator pitch. You know, what's, what's, what's your elevator pitch? And I've always found that to be both exciting and problematic. Exciting because it means that everybody's thinking about being able to communicate what they do succinctly, right, in a few lines. On the other hand, of course, the depth and the breadth of what we do cannot be encapsulated, anybody in their lives can't be encapsulated in just one sentence that somebody might say on, a, uh, on an elevator. I would say that, you know, one of the things I like that I put on my uh, on my LinkedIn profile, actually, you know, because LinkedIn asks you the same thing, and they don't give you much uh, give you much space, right? And I say, well, how am I going to describe myself? You know, I'm not just a rabbi, so I just said, creating welcoming community. Everything that we do and involved with, whatever it is wherever it is and whoever it's with it's about creating welcoming community specifically the jewish community and everything kind of comes from that point i, I love your recent I, I guess you must have done some sort of fundraising campaign recently and you put on instagram your little pitch <laughs> where you were literally <laughs> going from rabbi jacket to Shabbat tent t-shirt to all the <laughs> literally yes. undressing to reveal your next layer of the next thing that you do. So um, why don't we jump in? Let's, I, I guess maybe, maybe the place to start, let's talk about Shabbat tent. Why don't we start there? And uh, if you could share with us a little bit of what the Shabbat tent is and a little bit of the evolution of how it got started. I, I would love to. Shabbat tent, the concept, the idea behind it has roots going way back to the 70s, which is that you have lots of Jews, all walks of life, 
but mostly not very uh, involved Jewishly, uh, who enjoy going to music festivals. Uh, two friends of mine uh, at the 1999-2000 Fish Millennial Show thought, let's do something bigger. Let's really kind of promote it. We're going to call it, uh, uh, you know, a Shabbat tent. We'll see who we can attract because lots of Jews love fish. It was very successful. And one of the people who also got wind of their project was an up-and-coming uh, reggae uh, singer a couple years later named Matisiahu. He asked them, hey, I'm going to be playing at this Bonnaroo Music Festival. Can you guys do that for me at Bonnaroo? So my two friends, Adam Weinberg and Rob Schmulskase, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. I think Adam, Adam Weinberg ended up doing it with a bunch of people. And a couple years later, they wanted to do it again. And by this point, uh, Rachel and I were living in Long Beach, California. Rachel was the Hillel director. I was a campus rabbi at Cal State Long Beach and UC Irvine. And we had started something called the Julicious Festival, which was mostly a West Coast Jewish college student weekend. Hundreds and hundreds of Jewish students from 20 plus campuses would come. We took over a JCC for three days. And one of the people I met a, a part of this whole project was Adam Weinberg. And Adam said, oh my gosh, you would love this Shabbat tent thing I'm doing. Can you come to Florida and help me? I, you'll be the rabbi for this. Matisiao is going to be playing at this Wakarusa. And I said, sure, no problem. I'm there. I won't go into all of the incredible details because uh, uh, there were torrential rain oh, and, and wind which blew over tents. It was, it was a, you know, of biblical proportions, right? Okay. But it, it all of a sudden, as I'm there Friday night with a couple of hundred young people uh, and we're singing Shalom Aleichem, we're about to have this gigantic Shabbat dinner in under this tent at this music fest. I said, there is something really powerful here. And I, I know why Hashem uh, 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 put this in my path. So I started speaking with, with my wife and with our you know, our, our uh, call it our network and people. And I, this, this needs to not just happen once in a while. This needs to happen all the time. And so slowly and surely, we, we started moving the project forward. And uh, now Shabbat Tent is the main uh, uh, outreach division of our outreach organization, which is called JConnect. And Shabbat Tent will be at anywhere from six to eight music festivals every year. We have volunteer teams on the West Coast, the Midwest, and on the East Coast uh, who go to these festivals, create Jewish hospitality. I call it radical Jewish hospitality or radical hospitality. And I'll explain what that means in a moment. And we also have something called Shabbat Tent X, we can't get to every festival, right? There are dozens and dozens and dozens of serious, wonderful festivals, hundreds of musical festivals. What are you going to do? So we get a few guys who say, you know what? I'll do Friday night dinner. And we send them money and a sign and a, and a playbook. How do you make Shabbat dinner at a music festival for people? So we also started doing the Sundance Film Festival with a, another organization who had been doing it, the Chai Center. 
And so we created a Shabbat lounge, a three-day immersive uh, uh, lounge for participants at the Sundance Film Festival. We've also done it at other, we've done it all over the country. And uh, it is one of the, I, I'm biased, but Shlomo, it is so moving. It is so moving. The impact it has on people is, is astounding. People go to these music festivals. Uh, um, they're looking for a transcendent experience. They're open. They're outside of their normal comfort zone. They're wearing crazy clothing. And, you know, you put a challah roll in their hand and all of a sudden that pintaliyid, uh, they're, they're just, people just explode with joy at being able to connect with uh, a Shabbos meal or just, just Jews in hospitality. It has a huge, huge uh, impact on them and, and also on us. It, it, we always leave very changed from all these experiences. That's incredible. Let me ask you, I'm just curious as I, as I try to understand more of the evolution of this. So before you got involved with this, were you yourself, I know you mentioned Shmuel Skase, they were kind of fish heads. You know, I've heard, I, we've, I've never had Shmuel Skase on the podcast, although I don't oh, know. Oh, he's a, a special guy. Movie. Yeah, I've seen him in action. Um, during, uh, during COVID, we had him once for, um, for a young professionals program do a Zoom. And I've listened to his music for a while, but I have heard that he's kind of like, a, you know, an, an an old timer, uh, you know, fish groupie, you know, kind of. So this was, you know, maybe his environment somewhat. How about you? I never was a, a, a fish head. And, and it's funny because I've now been to, you know, all these fish festivals with Shabbat tent. Uh, and people assume that, that I, you know, and I, the truth is my first fish concert was, you know, uh, about 10 years ago when uh, we did a fish festival. So, um, but I grew up around music. Uh, my father, Alva Sholem, was a musician. I grew up uh, around music all the time, uh, going to classical music festivals um, as a child, um, uh, going to lots and lots of music. And then when I became a college student, I always was seeking out music festivals. So I'm a musician yourself. Yes, I've always been. And it was always, you know, uh, um, uh, tricky um, to, 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 to bail, you know, I never, and it never occurred to me at those days, um, oh, I, I should invite all the Jews here. We'll do Shabbos together. It just never, you know, never clicked. Um, so I would do that. And uh, um, it, it just, uh, and camping comes very naturally. I, I love, I love camping. Um, and I, I should point out, we try to generally do camping festivals. We do do some urban festivals, but we really, and, and we've done them in, in, in Memphis, in, uh, um, in San Francisco, uh, in Chicago. Uh, we've done lots of uh, urban festivals over the years, but the music, the, the camping festivals are really the, the key. And the best ones are ones where jam bands are playing. Yeah. The highest percentage of uh, Jewish participants are where there's going to be some kind of jam band scene. Um, that that could be a podcast in itself. Why do Jews love jam bands? 
Um, yeah. I'm sure there are pod. I know there maybe our podcasts out there, Sean, but that's not our topic today. But well, we've actually it's interesting. We have discussed it on this podcast. In yes, the past. we have discussed it because we've had some some musicians on the podcast in the past. Uh, we had a rapper, uh, Rav Mo, come on. We spoke about his creative process. But even outside of that, like I've used just this this whole idea of the jam band, and it's sort of like it's like free flow within sort of like you're you're in kind of like a, a loose box but then you can just free flow within that and to me i've always seen and, and and i've spoken about fish many times i've always seen it almost as like a metaphor of like the ideal uh version of judaism where like you see yourself within the chords but yet like within those chords you can go crazy and you can totally be yourself without sort of you have the lines but they give you enough space within that to just you know be free you know what i'm saying i i think that's beautifully said and um you know not only is there a propensity of jews to love jam bands and, and fish in particular but a lot of Jews who grew up, a lot of the people who would come to our fish festival activities were people who grew up within the system, uh, didn't find their place there for all kinds of reasons, and are, consider themselves outside the system, but feel very much connected to the fish uh, community. And I, I joke, I say, well, they have these four Rebbies on the stage, you know. And that that's their rebbies, you know, and and they they trade the uh, you know set lists like labdil, uh, you know, Hasidim trade my uh, marim, and and uh, and there's a uh, um, you know there's a a community uh, a connection which I think is one other thing to add. So the free flowingness within a framework, but also community is very important. You know, this like mindedness. People in feel comfortable they feel good when they can be around like-minded people and uh that the jam band and the fish world are are you know that pro provide community yeah i want to go a little bit deeper into this in a moment i just have to ask you has the shabbat tent been to burning man this is you know the question if i had ten dollars for every time uh we could probably buy an rv and go to uh, yeah i'm burning sure man. <laughs> that is the question yeah we the answer is we don't go to Burning Man. We've been, people have wanted to bring us to Burning Man. Um, you know, I don't know, for many of your listeners, they might not know what's the nafkamina, right? What's the difference between a Burning Man and a music festival? And it, it's quite, it's quite different insofar as uh, Burning Man has its roots really in radical personal expression of, of individual, individuality. And, and, a, and a large dose of hedonism. And it is, um, and there are a bunch of Jewish groups who do different things at Burning Man. And so we felt, you know, that's, that's uh, we don't need to have Shabbat tent there yet. Maybe someday we could think about it, but we've talked with lots of burners about it over the years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no other a group, right, doing what we're doing at any of the, the festivals where we go, because it's a very difficult thing to pull off. It is, it is, it sounds easy, but you know, but it is really challenging. And there's a lot of know-how, money, time, effort that has, that goes into to doing it right. 
And so we focus, we, we, we focus on the music camping uh, festivals uh, for, for that reason. So I guess the other million dollar question is... If we had a million dollars, <laughs> we would have uh, mobile Shabbat tent vehicles that would be on the road, you know, four or five months a year, uh, creating Shabbat tents at festivals, you know, north, south, east, west. We, we don't have that million dollars yet, but if we did, it would be put into use. And every weekend, you know, our teams would be at different festivals. We have, we've drawn it up. It's amazing. It's amazing. You, but you mentioned, like, you've mentioned all of the ingredients for these amazing experiences. You spoke about they're coming. You, you mentioned that they're coming for a transcendent experience. You mentioned the community and the camaraderie that's there. Um, you know, uh, the, the openness. And these are all ingredients for deep spiritual experiences, which is why you probably found it so amazing the first time that Adam Weinberg schlepped you to one of these. And yet, our hub of spirituality is the synagogue, <clears throat> which um, it's, it's not doing that well, you know, in terms of meeting all of these ingredients. So my other million dollar question is like, how do, you, how do you see this panning out? You're literally seeing the best of the best in terms of these, I mean, I've been to some of these things and I know the power of it. And I'm just like, how do we take this? How do we harness this? And how do we pull it back into our own world? Uh, it's a wonderful, that's a wonderful question, Shlomo. Um, the, the first thing to say though, is that a, a huge number of the people who pass through or participate in our Shabbat tent at a music festival, they are what we call, you know, disaffiliated, right? Or unaffiliated. These are not people who have a synagogue they don't go to. They don't have a synagogue, right? Um, maybe they go Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Maybe, maybe, likely not. In, in fact, you know, especially the younger single for very unlikely uh, uh, as a majority rules. But I'd say, what could we learn from what we've seen there and how could it be transferred some of that to the synagogue? Well, one thing is if your synagogue is not a welcoming place, uh, um, then there's work to be done. We, we succeed at the music festivals because we, we don't ask for anything from anybody. We just create, just like Abraham and Sarah, Avram and Sarah, they put up a tent, open on all sides, and they invited everybody in to have a meal. And for lots and lots of reasons, which we don't need to go into, our shuls are not geared to be like Avram and Sarah. They're more, you know, they're geared to, be up, to do other things. Part of the reason is because it takes a lot of money to run a synagogue, to hire a rabbi, to create the kind of infrastructure and uh, that people want. And they want some exclusivity that's connected to that. People are concerned and threatened, not only with security, but also with, you know, uh, um, how do you 
make a welcoming place when this day and age. So for sure, you know, if you had some Chabad, you know, Shalichim on, they would tell you how they manage it for their, uh, uh, you know, outreach synagogues, which they have all over the world, right? Um, but I think that we all can learn something from them there, which is you don't have to sacrifice synagogue and its central uh, role in Jewish communal life. You don't have to sacrifice that um, by being too welcoming. Um, that would be the first thing. And then I, I would also add that, you know, one of the beautiful things that uh, we've started talking about is, 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 you know, is community. And I think that uh, it, it's, you know, how do you, and, and spirituality. So how do you trans, how do you transfer that? It's very hard to create a music festival in a synagogue, right? Very hard. Can I, can I ask you to pause sure. for a second? Because I, I and I, I believe this and I think you do too, because from what I've heard of you in the past that, I mean, the way you're framing it is 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 transferring it, and I want to say that I believe that it's reclaiming it because, as I've heard you point out before, and 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 you you said it. This is what I love to hear you say this: like, the Torah was given at a festival. Yes, <laughs> the Torah yes. Was given, you, right? at you heard you heard my you heard my podcast with Scott Kahn. <laughs> yes, I mean, and, and, and that was it. And and, and I yes. want to tell you the reason why I loved it so much is because you know when 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 I'm teaching when I'm teaching high school kids about Matan Torah, and I'm like, guys, I want you to visualize this. Do you know what picture I show them? I show them a picture of the Burning Man festival from up high. Have you ever seen the the, the picture? Yes. With yes. how they have all of these tents, sort of in like this yes. almost like almost circle out in in, in the desert. Yes, yes. And I'm like, yes. this was a this was a transcendent. I, yeah. I don't know, you know, they, they weren't well, you know bands. I want you there. to I want you to update your teaching uh, uh, portfolio. Get an overhead view of Glastonbury Festival. Okay, okay. Glastonbury is the largest camping festival in the world. Okay. It has 250,000 people, significantly more than Burning Man. And they do have aerial views of those. Yeah. And and it and it is mind mind-blowing, right? And then you think that Kalal Israel was way more than 250,000 people in the desert. Um yes, we, we listen, we live most Jews live in in urban Right or suburban areas, we don't live out in 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 nature. We're we're totally uh, uh, it's not part of our regular routine. So maybe the answer is we just have to bring the shuls out into wilderness more often. Uh, maybe it's for a shul retreat, or maybe multiple shuls get together and do retreats together. Uh, just by going out into nature and getting out of your homes and and getting into a a, a place, you know, which is beautiful, it will, it will in and of itself have a, a big impact. You know, I, we don't have to talk about it now, but I do want to tell you about our camp that we do for young professionals, which is exactly, we take people out, you know, into a beautiful location. We have this, you know, beautiful retreats, uh, but yeah, you can do that with synagogues. That. Tell us, I, can, I'm fascinated to hear about it. Synagogues, there's nothing said that's in, you know, a lot of the synagogues here, they do do retreats up in the Big Bear area at um, the W. Ovid Retreat Center, uh, uh, probably a dozen synagogues a year. But, uh, you know, a lot could be done there. 
a lot could be done. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the camp. I think the camp okay. is, 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 is a really, really so cool if, innovation. So if you look at studies, what has the biggest impact on a person's Jewish identity? Um, the, the studies say that Jewish day school, right, is the number one uh, influencer uh, and determiner of a person's Jewish trajectory overall, right? Uh, the number two determiner of what a person, their, their trajectory of their Jewish life is Jewish summer camp. And uh, um, we think that Jewish summer camp's just for kids. But, you know, about, oh, maybe 2006, 2005, 2006, we started saying, wait a minute, you know, this, there's this huge summer we're only connecting with these college students, uh, you know, one weekend a year at Jewish's Festival, you know, with 500 people, but wouldn't it be cool if we did a summer camp? So through various, per, uh, 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 you know, versions, we've been doing uh, young adult, young professional Jewish summer camps because summer camp has a strong impact on anybody, no matter what the age of the person is. Uh, it's an incredible, fun, immersive experience uh, which everybody should have and if they didn't have it as a kid so now they can have it as an adult and if they did have it as a kid so it reawakens that inner camper inside them and and it really it really has a big uh, a big impact on people's lives what so what is it what, what is the summer camp called so we call it camp neshama oh love it okay camp neshama uh this year we're in simi valley at the Brandeis Bardeen Institute. Uh, we've done it in, done the program there before, maybe about five or six years ago. And it's a beautiful program. And, uh, you know, it being a camp director, which I know, Shlomo, you have some experience in, <laughs> right? Being a camp director is an awesome job. Yeah. I mean, right? It's awesome. I, I loved it. I was a camp director before right before we ever got to california my wife and i we ran uh drew summer camps in poland i ran summer camps in the united states loved it but you know it's very hard you can't it's very hard to make a living just running a, a jewish summer camp you have to be doing other things too uh but as a as a rabbi you know it's a it's it's a phenomenal opportunity tell me tell me about a, a day in the life of camp Nisha. like do you have color you know, do you have to give out freeze pops if they bench out loud nicely? Like, <laughs> what, is, what is a day? We, like? What we do, of, what we, so we found through, again, through trial and error, we actually do something which we call the wacky Olympics. Okay. Right. And so we, and it is color coded. It absolutely, we divide up the camp into four teams uh, and we do a very strenuous, strenuous wacky Olympics, uh, which uh, you can go to YouTube and see some of our, our highlight reels there. Um, it's a it's a very important part of uh, Jewish summer camp, right? You know, whether it's watermelon watermelon eating or you know pudding, uh, uh, and lots of teams team activities. We've invented a lot of new games for the wacky Olympics, and my wife Rachel, I have to give her credit. She comes up with this, the most ingenious uh, um, group competitions 
she spends months and months coming up with these uh, ideas. And I imagine that you also incorporate a lot of the the ruach and the and the 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 singing and the campy the round the campfire all that stuff. That's right. As much as much as possible. That's right. The campfire, the musical Abdullah. We well we often will bring in a band also for you know a concert, um, uh, and we've also done something silent disco. It's very very uh, popular. I don't know if you've ever done silent disco, but it is um, a fantastic, fantastic addition uh, to our program. Um, and uh, silent disco is where everybody has on their own headset. Oh, and they're and there's going crazy three different and there's different D, there's different DJs, right? Right, and so you know, and and you can you can make you know if you have an Orthodox crowd or you want it you can have a, a machitza you can put it up there and people can do their thing there and there you know everybody loves it uh, uh whatever their their background is mm-hmm. um um silent disco is a big part of our camp neshama experience and many other things too the the dinner you know you play games and stuff we we've experimented over the years Shlomo, having different speakers you know uh on different topics but what we've come to see is that uh People are excited about, you know, we'll do like on Shabbos, we'll have a couple of classes here and there, but really people want to connect with each other. They're not really looking to connect with like, a, you know, a big name speaker as right. much. Uh, but we have yoga, we have meditation, we have davening, we have uh, tons of ruach sessions, film, games, sports, uh, you know, everything that campers have. Oh, of course you have to tie dye. You have to make Shabbos candles, right? With the dipping in the wax. Yeah. Uh, all those things. So good. I love it. I love it. Um, uh, let's change channels a little bit and let's speak a little bit about your work overseas. I know you spent a lot of time in Poland recently, you've been doing a lot of work with Ukraine. So take us back to how all of this started. And if you can tell us that story. I'd be happy to. Um, Poland and and Polish Jewry play a big part in 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 making me who I am today. When I was a college student, I went looking for my roots. I ended up in Poland. Uh, I I met young Jews just right after communism, right at the beginning of the ni- uh, nineteen ninety one, uh, who had just discovered or just been allowed to talk about being Jewish. And it, it blew my mind because I had always been told there were no Jews left in Poland. Uh, everything's destroyed. There's nothing left. My grandmother was, why are you going back there? You know, and and I, but I felt drawn there. And I met young Jews in Poland. And I said, this was, and I, I, I met uh, people running a Jewish cultural festival in Krakow, which had just started. Now it's this big international event, but then it was just this little Polish uh, uh, event. And I said, there, you know, there's something special here. And I, I wrote a letter which got to Rabbi Haskell Besser, Zichron Sadik Livracha, got to his desk. And he was just starting to organize summer programming for Polish Jews, uh, families, children, uh, Holocaust survivors, Jechi Holocaust, which are child Holocaust survivors who had been hidden by Polish families. And they needed a, a music guy. I got uh, uh, very lucky 
I was, uh, they, they asked me to come and join their, their staff for the summer uh, in, in 1992. And it had a profound impact on me. Uh, it also changed the directory of my Jewish life because I really was dis dissatisfied with the Jewish spirituality that I had grown up with in Detroit. It wasn't doing it for me. Did you grow and up I was definitely, I grew up in Detroit. I grew up, yeah, I went to day school and, and, and very traditional. Well, tr that's a, a broad category, traditional, but uh, um, I, was, I was very much searching, you know, and uh, I was very grateful. I met Shlomo Karlbach when I was 18, and he really- uh, In Detroit? Uh, no, no, I had already left Detroit. I left Detroit when I was 17. I met Shlomo in New York uh, when I was, uh, just after I turned 19, 18, 19. And, and then I spent a lot of time trying to follow him, whatever I could. Uh, but he got me pointed in, back in the right direction. Uh, and, By the way, we uh, had, I, I don't know if in LA you have any connection, but we had a David Sachs on the oh, podcast. Rev David's a dear friend, very, yeah. very dear friend. He was such a, he's also just so, a so Shlomo. Fellow. So Shlomo, of course, you know, played such a massive role in David's life. Yeah. Uh, um, and he knew him from, from childhood. I only met him as a, you know, young college student. And he, and he had a profound influence on my life. And then I was with Shlomo. Oh, I forgot to mention, ninety-one. I was with Shlomo in Poland, so that year, so in in Warsaw, and and it, so you know, all that that trip in ninety-one just changed the whole director, direction of my life. Instead of Poland being this, you know, place of 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 just of death and murder and my family's you know destruction, I saw these people who were braving everything to come out of the woodwork. And I saw how Shlomo embraced them. And then later as Rabbi Besser embraced these people. And it just had a profound influence on everything that I do and everything that I've become. And, uh, and I, I went in a Hasidic direction from there. After meeting Rabbi Besser, I said, that's, there's a, this, this, is, a, this is precious. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and so again, that, and that's a long way of saying that I ended up living there for five years. <laughs> take me back by there, Vienna. Take me back to a song. Do you remember some of the early <laughs> concerts? What was the song that you sang there that Shlomo sang? Well, I, I used to go around in Poland with my guitar because, you know, after Shlomo passed away, you know, people loved him there. They loved him. Essa Einai, David Melech, Israel, very basic. These, you know, they had a huge, huge impact. And it's funny, you just started the from the... Uh, from the chorus, which is yeah. which is a, the best way to start that song. That song, but that's the way the, Shlomo sang it, right? That's right, the best way. Some people start with si really. Did he die? 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 Did he die? Oh, and people love. Oh my gosh, he was so beloved in Poland, and he did shows all over. You know, uh, uh, he was there twice. Um. And I just started playing Shlomo songs. And then I, they hired me for the summer camp and I played, well, they didn't hire me. They didn't pay me. I got, I got flown to Poland for the, and we just played Shlomo. And I just played lots of Shlomo songs all the time. And this and, is still uh, when you're single. I am still single. And then I was very, very lucky. Um, I met a wonderful, I went to Oxford from Poland. So I, I had a Fulbright fellowship in Poland, in Krakow. That's when I studied and learned Polish and worked in the community there. And then I went to Oxford for graduate school uh, to, to study uh, cultural anthropology because I really 
even though I was, you know, totally madly in love with being Jewish and I loved Shabbos and everything about it, I couldn't imagine myself making a living as a, as a rabbi. Everybody's trying to push me in that direction. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to be a cultural anthropologist. That's a good, that's a good job. No, not a good job. Anyway, after uh, we're I done, got... I'm going to Google exactly what a cultural anthropologist <laughs> does. <laughs> but I don't want to I, take up your time. But I, the best thing was I got to Oxford and, and it was amazing. And I, I, uh, I studied, I did a focus on Polish Jewry still. And I met this young lady from Northern California, Rachel Steiner. And I realized the whole reason I got to Oxford was to, to meet her. And I met some wonderful other people who had a big uh, influence on my life. And uh, Rachel and I decided, you know what, after we finished our degrees, wrote our theses and looked at the job market for people in our fields and met people. And, and I just said, you know what, we both said, we're we, we want to do something different. And we went to Eretz Yisrael, we went to Chappelle's and Midrash Rechel. We, both of us, we had been very involved and engaged in lots of background, but had never had advanced Jewish study. We went there for a couple of years. It was fantastic, wonderful, wonderful place. And then we moved to Poland uh, on behalf of the Ronald Lauder Foundation for the next four years. And we ran uh, the Ronald Lauder programs. Uh, it was, uh, they had a, we had a youth clubs in, in various cities summer programs, winter programs. We had a Jewish community center in Warsaw that we oversaw. And, uh, but you know, in 2001, after we had a, we, my wife gave birth to two, our first two children there. And we had put a lot of effort into the community. I realized I really wanted to advance my Jewish learning. I had not achieved a uh, 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 mastery of, of, of math, even math. Mastery is probably not the right word. I had not finished my smicha. I, you know, and, and I really wanted to do more learning and I needed a recharge. So we, we actually moved to Muncie and we were there for a few years where I studied for and, and did smicha there and uh, always kept in touch with Poland and Polish Jews, made lots of trips back there. Um, when the war broke out, you know, Shlomo, uh, when, when Russia, let's say even step back, before Russia invaded, uh, myself and anybody who had spent any time in that part of the world, and I, by the way, I've been to Russia and Ukraine and Belarus and, 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 and the Baltics, and, and I've done research in these countries, and anybody who was an expert in that part of the world said, Russia's going to invade. It, it's going to happen. It's not like, it's not a bluff. They're not amassing their troops on the border. They've already invaded Crimea. They've already, they've already taken over part of the Eastern country. They've been trying to topple the government in all different kinds of ways. They're going to invade. And, and I, I couldn't sleep at night. You know, we really so much, so much uh, uh, worry. There's hundreds of thousands of Jews in, in Ukraine. A thriving new Jewish community has grown up there. Uh, and just the thought of what's going to happen to these people just kept me up at night. I, I was not sleeping well for, for many, many, many weeks. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they invaded. And you feel helpless here in the United States. What are you going to do? Are you going to, I, I mean, go over there with a M16? <laughs> Fight off the Russians? Then it, 
it, it hit us that all these refugees might need help in Poland. We reached out to Rabbi Shudrik, the chief rabbi, and he said, Yona, you want to come do Pesach in Lublin? We don't have anybody to run seders for all the, the Jewish refugees there. And, and we did. We, we made a wow. campaign. We fundraised. Uh, we Here in the United States, we did fundraising. We flew, me and my whole family, uh, and another family from L.A. joined us, uh, lay leaders of their community, very involved in, in B'nai Akiva here, uh, the Gerbers. And they joined us and helped us. And uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. We had 160 people for the first Seder. Wow. And it was, and I, I have to say, and by the way, Shlomo, excuse me, I, I have so much to say, so you can always interrupt me. No, 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 I'm loving uh, this. I got to, you think refugee, the first thing that comes to your mind is some nebuch, a person with a sack over their shoulder, you know, barefoot, right. you know, trudging, you know, to the board, you know, thirsty, hungry. So that, that are, there are obviously millions of refugees in the world who look like that. The refugees from Ukraine, they look like the people in your shul. These are the most sophisticated, yeah. The people in our shul, right? These are, you know, businessmen and yeah. teachers and doctors and lawyers. Uh, almost all women and elderly people and children. The men weren't allowed to leave. Okay. And, but they look like, you know, anybody could be in any shul in America. Okay. Yeah. So now, how do you do a Seder for refugees? You can't just, you know, uh, open up a couple boxes of Manischewitz matzahs, right? You, you got to make a real Seder. So we worked with the, the, the hotel had a trafe restaurant with a really good chef. And my wife sat with him and his staff and they created a menu and we got, we had brought in 23 suitcases of supplies and food from the United States, suitcases from Israel. My son who was learning in Israel, you know, that uh, the year he brought stuff from there. My daughter brought stuff from Boston. Wow. We had stuff, we had stuff brought in from uh, Vienna uh, and then stuff that was in Warsaw and we created a, a five-star Passover retreat level Seder. And you led you know? this in, in Polish. So we led it in Polish, Ukrainian, uh, and English. Wow. Wow. Uh, yes. And I had was... recently on the podcast, I don't know if you're familiar with the name of Nassim Maimon. He does a lot of work in Uman. He was one of the builders or the refurbishers of the Kloys. Uh, and he says Uman is actually doing pretty well considering what's going on. Unbelievable. That is a uh, important a place and a lot of Eden. Yeah. Wow. I, I have to, you know, Shlomo, I want to share with you also another thing about uh, these refugees, right? You know, that the, is that the, the hardest thing about being a refugee, they, they told me, was you don't know what your future is, right? You don't know. Are you ever, can ever, will you ever? go back to your home, will you see the family that you've been separated from, right? You know, living in a hotel gets tiring after six weeks, you know, or a month or two months. And uh, so there's, it's incredible, the Israeli organizations at the border who've been helping people, the Joint Distribution Committee in, not just in Poland, but in many countries, uh, and, and Polish people are, are hosting 
hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians in their homes. When we were there, they, they said there's over a million Ukrainians sleeping in, in Polish people's homes. So as horrible, as horrible as it is for them, there is this beautiful hope, which we saw because we, we went to lots of border crossings and we went to refugee centers up and down the country. And we, you know, I did concerts on Chomoed uh, for Jewish refugees in Warsaw and Krakow and Lublin. And, uh, you know, there is this, while there's ho- this terrible, terrible matzah, this horrible situation, there's so much chesed and there's so much, you know, from the Jewish community and from the non-Jewish community, it's also very inspiring because uh, people are capable of doing so much good. Yeah. Uh, War brings out the worst and the best. It, it seems to. Yeah. It seems to. Uh, we got back, we organized uh, sending with, we sent dozens of cases of, of medical supplies needed that were needed there uh, and in Ukraine. Uh, and now everything's changed. So we're not collecting medical supplies in shipping anymore. Now they have mobile medical units that are going around to all the refugee centers. Uh, so we're trying to help that. It's an Israeli organization uh, called Rescuers Without Borders. It's an affiliate of Hatzalah, a little bit. You know, Hatzalah is like amazing as well. But, you know, so you just, but what do you do with a situation where it's an on, it's six months? We're going to be in this in a moment. It'll be six months. Yeah. It's, which is, which is itself crazy. So we've discussed a lot of the big things, Jewishes festival and the Shabbat tent and Camp Neshama in Ukraine. But I know that a lot of your work is also very focused on individuals, uh, young couples. So share a little bit just about that side of the life of, of Raviona. One of the things that the pandemic afforded, one of the silver linings, was when we had to stop operations, day, you know, the day-to-day running of our synagogue Picoshul. Uh, one of the things that we realized was that we had been involved in so many communal things, whether it's on a larger scale like retreats or the Shabbat tent, or even the synagogue, you know, a hundred people there on a Shabbos day. We were, we were not having the opportunity to connect one-on-one real, real quality connections with people as much as we wanted. And so that's something that I, I've put a lot of, we put a lot of effort into in the last couple of years is developing uh, that, and that part of, of, of my work and my wife's work too, which is count, counseling. Uh, it's pre-marriage classes. But you know, marriage success classes for couples, couples who are doing great, but all of them need a lot of help. And 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 this is not just from your shul. This is all over wherever they correct. are. Correct, people all over. Any and listener listening to this podcast. That is right. That is right. The classes are done. Uh, we do some in person and some on Zoom, depending on on the the couple. Sometimes I do group classes. Sometimes we do one you know one on ones with couples. Um, helping them navigate challenges, difficulties that they're having. Um, uh, it's, it, that has been extremely rewarding. And also families who are facing different kinds of issues uh, that uh, sometimes they're not problems. They're, they're, they're beautiful things. Like they want to do more about, sh- about Shabbos. They want to become Shomer Shabbat, but they don't have a synagogue. They're not connected to a rabbi. So 
these are people who used to come and walk in the door at, at Pikachu all the time. Now we have a chance to do a lot more one-on-ones with people, and that's been extremely rewarding. So I try to balance all of the big communal things with lots of, of individual uh, attention to individual people. Uh, it's very rewarding, and, and there's a, a, lot of, a lot that can be done there to, to help. How do you juggle? How do you, how do you know, like, when you're coming into work every single day, like, is today going to be, uh, are we going to work on Shabbat tent? Are we going to work on uh, individuals? Are we like, are we going to work on the Pico Shul? Are we going to, like... Yeah, that's probably you... what my program manager thinks every morning. <laughs> she has no idea what's, you know, I mean, she's got a whole stack of things that she works on, but that's right. I could be asking her about any different thing uh, um, and the different, you know, um, just depends, you know, uh, there's no, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, Shlomo, you know, I'm not great at the life, whatever this is called, life-work balance. Work-life balance, right. But I do want to tell people something that that was the other thing that happened during COVID was uh, a, a rude awakening for me that I needed to spend more time on self-care. Uh, I was hospitalized oh, no. with a, a small heart attack. Oh, gosh. And, and I... And by the way, everybody was shocked. I didn't have high cholesterol. I didn't, you know, I'm not over, thank God I'm not, I'm not overweight. I didn't have a unhealthy lifestyle, you know, and I go into the hospital. They're like, you're, you're too young to be in here. You don't, this doesn't look right. So it was a, it was Hashem's way of saying, Yona, you know, you can juggle all these programs. You can work, you know, a, a 12, 18 hour days. But if you don't start taking care of your health, you're not going to be around for your grandkids. Oh, no. So uh, I, I share this with everybody because, you know, for whatever it is, being Jewish, we have lots of obligations. Uh, wh whatever your observance level is, but you have lots of obligations, right? We need to make our taking care of our health uh, an obligation. It can't just be a when I have time, you know, right? Sh Right. What's it say in Pirkei Avos? You know, don't say when I have a chance to learn, I'll learn. You, you can't say when when I have a chance to, you know, work on my health, I will because it, it will be too late. So um, one of the things I do to maintain all of these things going is I I try to exercise uh, or do yoga every day. I run, I meditate, of course, the davening, and I make time, more time for learning. I'm doing more, you know, it would be so easy to be like, oh, you know what, I can skip this Seder because oh, so-and-so needs this. This person needs this, right? Oh, the, the, this at the shul. Oh, I got it. You know what? No, I have every morning, I have my Seder. Every evening, I have my Seder. And, and it, that's it. I just, I, you have to stick to the things that are, are, that are keep your soul healthy and keep your body healthy. And then you can juggle everything that, that much easier. Kind of, that's amazing. That's amazing. Raviona, this was fantastic. I'm so inspired by all of the things that you do. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about all of these incredible projects? Well, thank you, Shlomo. It's, a, it's an honor uh, to be with you on, on your show. I'll just share with your listeners that uh, I was, you know, when I was introduced to you, the person said, you guys are going to get along so well. <laughs> so I'm really happy to make a new friend. I, I'm really excited about this. Thank you. Um, 
so I hope that we will be able to to continue our, our connection and friendship uh, many, many, many years past this uh, podcast. Amazing. Uh, if, if anybody would like to be in touch with me, um, you know, we Pico Shul, P-I-C-O, Pico Shul is the site of a lot of our communal work. And then our projects have their own website. So Camp Neshama has its own website. Shabbat Tent has its own website. And um, and through the, the websites, you you can get to me and, and uh, uh, my team will make sure that uh, that your message, please God, is not lost and, and will set up an opportunity for us to uh, to meet. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to RabbiShlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.